good morning again, and I want to say hello again to those of you who are in our contemporary service right now. I was with you just moments ago, and welcome to those of you who are joining us online right now. In both of our worship venues, as usual, our ushers are on their way up the aisles or will be momentarily. They've got Bibles with them. If you have a Bible with you, now's a good time to take it out from under your seat or open it up if you'd like to. If you don't have one, I say this every week, I know, but I'd love for you to be able to follow along. You can borrow one from the ushers. And as we learn together how to hear God's voice as he speaks to us through the words of Scripture. And if you want to borrow one today, I'll give you references and page numbers in just a few moments. The story that we're learning from today, the story that we're reading today, is a strangely appropriate story for today. It's grown over years to become one of my favorites, honestly, just a, a powerful story that I think reveals to us such important and powerful things about God's work in the world and our relationship to Jesus. It's a story that's strangely fitting for today in ways I could never have imagined when, when Pastor Angie and I were working together nine months ago, 12 months ago, mapping out this According to Luke series, we put this passage on this day because it's where it fit in the story, I guess. After Easter, we began to, we talked about prayer together, learning from God how to live in a living relationship with a living God. For the last four weeks, we focused on that. And now we're reading about a few things that happened after the resurrection of Jesus. And so this falls here today. And yet maybe somehow in the wisdom of God, God helped lead us to a passage about an early Christian community in a time of major transition to a group of Christians entering into a set of circumstances that they had not foreseen, a group of Christians together entering into a set of circumstances that they didn't exactly know what they were going to do with yet. And maybe wondered, what's God going to do with us now? And as I've read this passage and prayed over and poured over this passage in the week's Leading up to today, God's really used it to speak to my heart, and I hope that God can use it to speak to your heart today too. I think the things that Jesus taught these early followers of his are the same things that Jesus would continue to teach us in our circumstances here today. And the things that the spirit of the living God used to strengthen and sustain and guide those early Christians are the very same things that the Holy Spirit of God continues to use and does use and will use in our lives here to strengthen and sustain and guide us in this season of our lives. So I'd love to ask you if you did take a Bible or if you have one to open your Bibles right now. We're gonna look through this story together. It's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. So it's about three quarters of the way through your Bibles. And if you're using these Quest Bibles, it's on page 1550 uh, of these Quest Bibles. While you're turning there, I'm just gonna kind of explain the opening moments of this, of this scene and then look at some of the key verses that I think have so much to say to us today. Right, this story begins on Easter Sunday afternoon. Right, Jesus was raised from the dead in the morning and the women went to the tomb and saw that he wasn't there and Jesus began to appear to them and empty tomb plus appearances of Jesus led them to the conclusion that Jesus was actually alive. But there's these two guys in the story. We know one of their names. His name was Cleopas. We don't know the name of the other guy. It's not recorded anywhere. They're going back home. They've been in Jerusalem for the festival, for the Passover festival. They became believers in Jesus. And then Jesus went and got himself killed. And they had heard some strange stories about what happened that day, but they had not come to the same conclusion. They didn't believe in what had happened yet. And so they decided to walk back home, probably, to the village of Emmaus. 
The previous day was Saturday. It was their Sabbath day, and so Jesus was killed on a Friday. They probably would have just gone home the next day with all their hopes crushed, but it was a Sabbath day, and they couldn't travel more than about a mile on the Sabbath day. That was prohibited. So now it was Sunday. It was the first day of the week for them. So they just got on the road, and they started walking seven miles back to Emmaus. It's a pretty long walk. It's plenty of time for your feet to get tired and your heart to get heavy and talk about all that had happened in those days. And they're walking down the road to Emmaus, and Jesus walks up alongside them, but they don't recognize him, right? This is sort of a strange thing. And it's not the only time in the Gospels that we hear that Jesus, after being raised from the dead, appeared to someone who ought to have known what he looked like, and they did not recognize him yet. In some ways, this is mysterious. In other ways, being spiritually unable to perceive what is right in front of your nose is something I can also relate to, right? And so here are Cleopas and his unnamed buddy walking down the road, and Jesus comes up walking beside him and goes, what you talking about? <laughs> who knew Jesus was so coy, right? <laughs> and you know, well, are you the only guy who hasn't heard what happened in Jerusalem? Like all these visitors came from all over for the Passover and this huge thing happened. This very popular teacher, prophet, leader was publicly executed by the leaders of their own people. And did you not hear about this? And Jesus, well, what things are you talking about? Tell me more. And they tell him the story. And they say in the midst of telling him the story, what I have come to think of as maybe about the saddest line in the Bible, maybe one of the saddest things that people can say, and they said this, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had we had, had hope, right? There was hope. We got our hopes up, but that's in the past tense now. We had hoped, and now we're at this place where we no longer have hopes. We no longer really have any hope for what God's gonna do in us. We're just walking home back to Emmaus. And it's in this set of circumstances that Jesus begins to teach them, that Jesus begins to say the words and do the things that changed their lives forever and really changed the world and have changed our lives also. So I wanna read these verses with you here. We're starting in, in verse 25. It's Luke 24, 25, and it's on page 1550 of your Quest Bibles, and uh, let's just take a look through these verses here. Jesus, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe. You can tell Jesus is not a Midwesterner, right? He just kind of gets right at it with them. How slow, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, which is a way of saying with like basically the whole Bible almost, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And he explains this, right? So let's take a minute, and I want to just pause over this diagnosis that Jesus gives them. He says, how foolish, I'm just going to use a little different word, a little different translation, ignorant. The word that's being translated there just means without understanding. Your mind does not understand what's happening. Ignorant and slow to believe. All right. In fact, the, what's being translated here, there's another word there that doesn't appear in our English translation. It's slow of heart. You are ignorant, foolish, and slow of heart to believe. So you are slow to understand. You're resistant. You have a problem understanding, a failure to understand, and a failure to trust what God is doing in these tumultuous circumstances. I think it would be fair to say that they had both a head problem and they had a heart problem. 
And Jesus put his finger on both sides of those things. They did not understand, nor did they trust what God was up to in these circumstances that were honestly very hard to understand and very hard to trust. And what did Jesus do for them in their head and heart problem situation? He opened the scriptures to them. He went back and began with Moses and all the prophets, with the books of the Old Testament that we call the Old Testament, they just called scripture, and explained to them all the things there, how the story all pointed to him. And it's more than just these individual verses. Oh, here's this verse in Isaiah, and here's this verse in Micah, and here's this verse in Deuteronomy that points to me. The sense is much more that Jesus goes through and says, this is how the story leads to me, how I make sense of this story. Jesus, in fact, teaches them to see the Old Testament, the Bible, as a story that leads up to him, and he fulfills it. Jesus makes the story, and Jesus makes the story make sense. Jesus makes the story, and Jesus makes the story make sense. So he engages in this Bible study with them. He shows them how all this happens. I would love to have been on the road as Jesus was explaining these things to them, right? And they continue for a little bit longer. In the next couple of verses, it says this. Verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, they finally get to Emmaus. They've walked seven miles down this dirt road to Emmaus. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. Wouldn't you love to know where he was going? <laughs> but they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. He goes into their home, right? And they've been on a long journey. They're hungry. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. If you've been in worship for any length of time as a part of a Christian life, you may recognize those words. I'll say more about that in a moment. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he disappeared from their sight. They were going along the road, and they go into the house, and Jesus sits down at the table with them, and he took bread, gave thanks, broke it. And in that moment, their eyes were opened. So the first thing that happened is they went from ignorant to eyes open, right? Jesus solved their head problem. He helped them see what was going on. He took them through this Bible study, and they sat down, and they recognized him. Now they were coming to an understanding. And now listen to the next verse. That was verse 31. Verse 32 says, and then Jesus disappeared. Somehow he's gone from their sight now. And in verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us, right? Was, wasn't it like we knew? We knew it. Our hearts were burning within us while he talked with us on the road. And now they were slow of heart to believe, and now they have hearts that are burning. It occurs to me that in times of great difficulty in our lives, and you can think about what those times have been for you, that in times of great challenge, in times of great pain, in times of confusion and frustration, that I think the central battle in our lives at that moment is probably not the battle that we see. The central battle is a battle in our hearts, right? The heart of the battle is a battle in our hearts. And in this moment too, there was a battle going on for their hearts. And they are either going to surrender to the fear or they were going to surrender to the fire. They were gonna live with fear, or they were gonna live with fire. And it says here that Jesus moved them from heartburn over their condition to hearts burning with the fire of the Holy Spirit, right? And as they were set ablaze with faith and courage and confidence, they turned around 
and went back to the place that they had fled from in fear in Jerusalem. This is what it says happens next in the story. In verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They had just walked seven miles away from Jerusalem and they had a meal and they turned around and they went back. And there they found the 11, the 12 minus Judas, and those with them, another group was with them, assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon, Simon Peter. They're testifying when the two arrive. And then the two told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized them when he broke the bread. And they went back to Jerusalem. They went back to their people. They returned to this group way back there in the place they fled because they might have been afraid of what the leaders were going to do to the people of Jesus that they had done with Jesus. But they went back to their community. They went back to the people with whom they had been made brothers and sisters in Christ because they were brothers and sisters of Christ. Jesus had made them family around tables all of their life. And now they went back to those people. And this small group of people, hard to know exactly what the number was that were there on that day, this small group of people became the mother of the church, became the group whose lives were changed, that began to bear witness in the world to the reality, to the truth that Jesus does change lives, that Jesus changes communities, that Jesus changes hopeless situations, that Jesus changes the world, that Jesus changes the present, that Jesus changes the future forever and ever, amen. And that's what they did right there. And they became the group, the the missionary invasion force, the little sleeper cell that God planted right there in Jerusalem that changed the history of the whole world. When I look back over the course of this story and what it was that Jesus did among them and what he taught them and what it is that he continues to do among us and teach us now, I see three things. I see three things that the Holy Spirit used to strengthen them, to sustain them, and to guide them in their life as they went forward. And those three things are these. The book, the bread, and the body of Christ. Now, truth be told, nobody was calling the church the body of Christ yet. That would take 20 more years. But <laughs> the book, the bread, and the body of Christ. As they walked down the road to Emmaus, Jesus led them through this Bible study. He helped them understand their story. He helped them reinterpret where they came from. He helped them reinterpret their present circumstances. He helped them re-understand the conflict they were facing in life and who the characters were and who their people were. And he helped them re-understand where they were going. He opened the book to them. The Holy Spirit used the book to guide, strengthen, and sustain them. The bread... <laughs> Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples. This is a, I think this describes on the one hand the semi-sacred moment that happens every time people sit down across the table from each other, every time people share a meal together. The semi-sacred moment that happens every time we sit down in community and we break bread together and I share my food with you and you share your food with me when Jesus gathers us around tables and makes us family that moment. I think it also describes the especially potent holy moment and meal that Jesus created and instigated and instituted on that very last night of his life on this earth before the crucifixion and resurrection, when Jesus celebrated this last Passover with his disciples and gave them the special meal and said, now do this every time you do it in remembrance of me. And Jesus used the book and he used the bread. And then what happened as soon as they recognized him and their hearts were on fire, they went back and they rejoined their community, right? And they committed themselves to one another in prayer and forgiveness and this remarkable way of life into which Jesus had led them as a testimony to what God was doing on this earth and what God would do forever and ever, amen. He gave them the book and the bread 
and the body of Christ together. That's what he did then, and what's he doing now? Is it any different? The more things change, don't they stay the same? This is what the Holy Spirit of God, what the living spirit of the living God continues to use among us to strengthen us and to sustain us and to guide us. He gives us the book, and I exhort you and encourage you to learn it, to learn it, to learn the story, to learn the ins and the outs, the high level and low level, the big picture and the detail, to learn it and conform your lives to its story. And he gives us the bread to gather together around tables, to be made family by the presence of Jesus, to do this in our worship and in our growth groups in different ways, and to commit ourselves to community, to the body of Christ, to commit yourselves to it, to embed yourselves in it, to be among yourselves, the community, the cell of people, the movement that Jesus came to start and bear witness to how good he is and what he does. He gave us the Holy Spirit to use the book, the bread, and the body of Christ. Let me finish by being a little bit blunt, maybe unwisely so. In about five weeks, I don't get to be your pastor anymore. In about five weeks, uh, it'll be my last day and we'll celebrate the times that have gone before and look ahead to what God's doing in all of our lives. We'll go forward from there. And after that day, we're gonna probably remember each other. I imagine for some period of time, you'll still know my name and remember my family and we will never forget you. And yet in due time, God will call new pastors here, one new pastor first, and I'm sure more and more as time goes on, God will call new leaders to serve this place alongside the ones that are already here. Thus it ever was, thus it always shall be. And I think about this story that we just read, this guy named Cleopas. As far as we know, he never exercised any more leadership in the early Christian community. I have no idea, honestly. He never, his name never appears again, and we don't know the name of the guy that he was walking with. They seem to have remembered him. They wrote his name down, and here I am talking to you about his experience 2,000 years later. And God called new leaders to guide and serve, new shepherds to serve the Christian community in its infancy, as God continues to do now. And in and out of all that, as one generation comes and another goes, as the communities were gathered and as God sent them out into other places like Corinth and Ephesus and Antioch and all the places the Christian church began to go, God continued by his Holy Spirit, as he changed the mission and as he changed the community, he never changed what he was using to grow them into the image of Christ. And even as the mission changed shape in different places, it remained the same mission to show the heart of the Father to the world, to show the goodness of God to the world, to carry the good news of Jesus Christ to those who don't know it yet. And what did God use to sustain that community through there but the book, the bread, and the body of Christ together? And what will God continue to use to strengthen you and strengthen me in the places that he sends us, but the book, the bread, and the body of Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit. And if this continues to be the mark of your life and mine in the years to come, well, I think this will be what the Spirit can use to take away the fear, the fear that I feel, the fear that maybe some of you feel, and to fill us instead with the fire of God's Holy Spirit. And if this continues to be how the Spirit works among us in the months and years and decades to come, then the legacy of our relationship to this point will be, will be a good one. And I pray that God make it so in the present and into eternity. Let's pray for that. Good and gracious God, our Heavenly Father, you who are the same yesterday, today, and forever, we give you thanks for all that you do in our hearts and all that you do in our lives and all that you do among us in our relationships and in community. We thank you. 
And God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to continue to guide us still, to fill us up with faith and courage and fire, to overcome our fears, and to lead us forward into whatever future centered in you, abiding in your spirit and following your lead that you have planned for each of us and all of us. We love you and we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.